Welcome, and thank you for tuning into the Graceland Church Podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus and love our neighbor for the good of the city. Go ahead and turn to John 6 if you have your Bible or if you'd like to turn on your phone. We're in this series called Believe, which is a study through the whole gospel of John. And so we're just slowly going through every verse of the book. And every once in a while, we're taking little breaks for other smaller series. The key verse of the whole series is found in John 20, verse 31. And this is really a theme verse for the whole book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And our principle or our main idea for the whole series is this. In a world full of cynicism and death, you can be filled with belief and life through Jesus. And that is really good news. But the question is how? And that's why we're reading through all these words that are written in this book. Today, the title is God makes much out of little. Before we get into it, I want to tell you about my night last night. It's not a confession. But my wife and I did break one of our family rules, and we went out with all of our kids for a late Saturday night, which generally, even if people invite us to really wonderful things, we just don't do late stuff on Saturday night because Sunday mornings are long and early and emotionally and spiritually exhausting for us. So we just generally don't do it. But there is this thing last night called Winter Jam. Anybody ever heard of that? Winter Jam is this thing where a bunch of Christian artists come together and pack out the Bridgestone Arena and blast off your face for like four hours. I didn't realize how insanely loud and long it was going to be. But, you know, we're raising these four kids, and we want them to continue to get introduced to Christian music that, is, that will be positive thoughts in their mind because they have access uh, to the music of the world just because everything's so readily available right now. And our kids like this hip-hop artist named KB who was there. He did great. They like this, this heavy group called Skillet, which I've listened to for 25 years, and now my kids are listening to them too. They've been around forever. I, I didn't tell them that their lead singer is probably in his 50s. He would have been like, eh. And then there was Torin Wells, who uh, he was basically like the Christian Michael Jackson live. He was really good. But we thought it was going to be over by like, I don't know, 9 o'clock or so. And no joke, 10, 15, 10, 20, it's still going strong. We have our three-year-old there, our six-year-old there. And we got to hang out, by the way. Jesse and Olivia Wilder were there. They're visiting from Florida, and Olivia is in her third trimester of their little girl who's going to be born soon. So give them a hand. It's great to have them here. One of our beloved worship leaders that needs to come back at some point from Florida. I don't know what they're doing down there in sinful Florida, like just terrible. Oh, you're missionaries. Oh, gosh. So at the beginning of the concert, we got this family picture before we got in. If you could put that first one up, Samuel. See how happy we were? High expectations, family going in. Um, and then let me show you some of the, one picture of the concert. This is Skillet. So this is literally part of their pyrotechnics show. There's like 15,000 people in Bridgestone Arena. And not just was there fire, but they have explosions on stage. And this is like 10, 15 p.m. last night. 
while we are sitting on the very, very tippy tippy top row, the only place where we could find seats. And no joke, my kids were so exhausted, and so was I, that while this was happening, this is what Nessa was doing sitting right next to me. <laughs> Completely gone. This is all to say, I'm quite exhausted today. And my voice, I don't know if it sounds normal to you, but my, this morning I could barely speak. I, I, I could speak very quietly to my wife. I leave early on Sunday mornings. And then the first time I tried to talk to someone with my actual voice this morning, like almost nothing came out. I was thinking about calling someone else to preach. And so I've been trying to take it really easy. I don't know if you noticed, I was trying really hard not to sing. It's really hard not to sing on some of those songs, especially how deep the Father's love for us, those words. Um, I've been trying to preach quiet, not talk to people too much because I, we have the two services. I have a, I, this is a, a cool report. We have our first board meeting after this second service with our newly elected official board. So pray for us. Give thanks for this amazing board that God has raised up here at Graceland Church. But, you know, I've always learned this as a speaker. The more weak I feel, oftentimes the more powerfully God can show up. And it's just a biblical principle. His power is actually perfected in our weakness, is what scripture says. And so I'm hoping that his power is very much perfected today, because I feel very weak today. And the story we're looking at today is a well-known story that you've probably heard before. It's in all four of the Gospels. And it is a story about how in our weakness, in the midst of very little, God makes much. And I'm hoping it's going to really encourage you. Let's read the whole text uh, just to set up the story, and then we'll... Go through it each verse. John 6, 1 through 15. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat. He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have one bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all, when they had, when they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they had intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. So Lord, we just continue to pray as we've been doing all morning we welcome you here, Spirit of God, and we do make room for you, not just in the sense corporately, corporately, but each in our individual hearts. God, come and fill our thoughts. Come and fill uh, the space of our emotions. 
and our intellect and our, our decision making, our, our deepest worries, those, those deep crevices that maybe we don't even want you to enter. We just welcome you today. Speak to us through your word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So those first four verses are just setting up the story. Giant crowds were following Jesus. And when we say giant, this is a huge crowd. It said 5,000 men, and scholars agree it's for sure two, three, or four times more than that, counting the women and children who were there. So safely, we can say the crowd following Jesus was the same size crowd we were with at Bridgestone Arena last night. About 15,000 people are pressing in around Jesus, trying to either see a miracle perform or get a miracle for themselves. So it is a crazy scene. And then Jesus says this just really interesting thing to Philip, one of his disciples. He sees the crowd and he says to Philip, who's just a young man, Philip, where are we going to buy bread for these 15,000 people to eat? And then there's just this remarkable thing in verse 6. Jesus asked this only to test him, for he had already had in mind what he was going to do. The definition of a test is something that measures our progress for the sake of continued learning and growth. And we see here that Jesus is testing him, or rather, Jesus is asking him this question for the sole purpose of testing him. He's not looking for an answer. He already knows what he's going to do. And it reminds us that, yes, Jesus is our Savior, and we should celebrate that. We have a great Savior and a great salvation. Jesus is our Lord. He's the one that we submit to. He's, he's, he's our master, but he is also our rabbi, which means teacher. We have all, if you're a follower of Christ, you have enrolled in the classroom of the professor, Jesus the Messiah. He is actually your teacher. And part of how he teaches us is through testing us, which is number one in your notes. I don't know if you're like me, but I didn't love tests when I was in school. Anybody? I'm thankful that he is a good teacher. Therefore, he is a good tester. Not all teachers that we've had are good testers, right? But Jesus knows you, and he knows me, and he knew Philip, and he knows exactly how to test us, and he does it for good reason. I just wish we knew when we were in a test. I wish God would just kind of like drop a signal down that said, hey, Nathan, by the way, this is a test. Answer accordingly. We have this value called formation, which is a, it's a word for discipleship, and we articulate it like this. You'll see it on screen. We're beautifully wrecked by the gospel of Jesus, and that's amazing. That's entry point, but now our desire is to grow as lifelong followers being formed daily more into his likeness, so the only way we're formed is through the good teacher. He is the one who forms us, so he is teaching Philip here, and pay attention to this context. This changes the whole story right here. Scholars believe that Philip, because he was one of Jesus' disciples and he had been rolling with him for this whole period of time, he likely would have been with Jesus when Jesus turned water into wine at the wedding in Cana, the first miracle Jesus ever did. So it was a similar situation in that they needed a provision miracle. Jesus, knowing Philip had seen that, he had seen the character of Jesus. He had seen the power of Jesus. He had seen how Jesus handles situations like this. Now in a new, similar situation, he's asking him what he has learned. And the question for you and me is, can you trust Jesus now based on what he did before? 
So much of the Christian faith is learning how to remember. He's done things in your life, and can you use those things to remind you of who he is and who he will be today? So if you're facing a challenge, Jesus may in fact be asking you, hey, how do you think we should approach that challenge? And it may in fact be a test because he wants to see if you've learned from your time as a follower. I love the core reason for this though. Why does Jesus do this? He tests us because he loves us. He wants us to be in loving union with him, which involves trust. The highest commodity of any relationship is trust. When trust gets broken, it takes time to restore it. Jesus wants him to trust, Jesus wants us to trust him with all our hearts and lean on him in these situations. Let's look at Philip's answer in verse seven. It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread just for everyone to have one bite. So he's being kind of like frustratingly sarcastic with Jesus. He's saying, Jesus, we would need 25 grand, let's say, in modern times, just for everyone to take one bite. In other words, that's not even gonna cut it. His response was essentially, we do not have enough money. (laughs) He may have also been concerned about his posse, the disciples. Like, Jesus, we don't even have enough food to eat ourselves. Have you ever noticed Jesus always tries to get us to orient our life and our resource, not just around ourselves, but around others. So it's following Jesus, and the first thing he does is he teaches you to love your neighbor. First thing he does is, hey, have you considered that person? Hey, what about them? Hey, what about these missionaries you just heard from? Hey, what about this need? And we often will think, wait a second, I barely have enough for me, which is the same thing Philip is doing. He's saying, we don't have enough to do this. And and I think there's a, a sad principle here, but let's sit with it for a minute. Number three, many of us live our lives tragically focused on what we don't have. And I mean focused, like that is the thing we are thinking about the most is what we don't have. That's the, that's the track that we're listening to all the time on repeat. You don't have enough. And if that's the track you're listening to all the time, uh, you're never gonna be able to respond to God when, when God is in this mindset of abundance. Side note, This is not to bash on Philip. It's a very legitimate response. We don't have anything to feed these 15,000 people, Jesus. It's just stating the facts in some cases. But the reality is that when you focus on what you don't have, you tend to miss God's purpose and God's plan. Then another of his disciples, Andrew Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy. So he found a little boy. And he basically... It's kind of funny if you think about it. He found a boy and offered the boy's lunch with, I don't know if he talked to the boy, I don't know, child abuse maybe, but he found a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but then he's kind of sarcastic too. How far will that go among so many? So Andrew essentially pointed out they have something, but they don't have nearly enough to get the job done. And another way to think of this kind of negative meditation that we do is many of us live our lives tragically believing we don't have enough. Or even worse, tragically believing we are not enough. There's this sense that I don't have enough. I don't have enough. I'm not enough. I'm not enough. And we got to pay attention to the loop we're listening to. And the good news is that the reason Jesus tests us around these ideas is because he wants to break us out of that thinking. He wants to break us out of that cycle that destroys us. 
and you can begin to look at all of your problems differently. So Philip, if he was more aware of who he was with, this Jesus, that the more you learn Jesus, the more you learn this living God, the more you approach all of your problems differently. And I think the goal is this, and number five in your notes, reframe your problems as opportunities for divine intervention. Reframing just means to look at them differently rather than saying we don't have enough money first or rather than saying we have a little bit and it won't be enough. Learn to respond to the testing of the Lord and be like, wait a second, I've seen the faithfulness of God before. He can be faithful here too. So it's a different way to live life. Also, problems are actually opportunities when you trust God to just draw near to the Lord. So rather than kind of separating and spinning around in confusion or even terror, sometimes we live in this posture of terror, the problem can be a cue. Oh, draw near to the Lord. He's the one who's been faithful before. In verse 10, Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place and they sat down. For sure, over 15,000 people there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted, he did the same with the fish. So Jesus performs a miracle that isn't even explained. I always wanna know, like as a kid, what? So were they just holding the bread and then it like multiplied in their hand as they let go of it? I wanna know what that looked like. I wanna know what that felt like. Have you ever had times when it, like you're positive that you've been generous with someone financially and this is what's supposed to be in your bank account or in your wallet and all of a sudden there's more? I'm not trying to be like weird or strange about it, but we've had that experience where we're like, oh, wow, there's, I don't know, God can do that. He multiplies the bread. He multiplies the fish. There's a great metaphor here, too, that I want to give you some context on. The type of bread that it talks about is barley loaves, which is, if you study the context, is the poorest of bread. So it was a small amount, not enough, of the lowest quality food is what they actually had. And it's kind of like us, how we feel when we're trying to approach God. We, we are too small, we're too weak. When we think about God showing up in our lives or God calling us to do things, we, we have nothing to offer God at all. We ourselves are a lot like that little lunch. Like, look at all this need in the world. What are you gonna do about this, God? And God's like, you, that's what I'm doing about it. And we're like, what? I'm five barley loaves and a couple pieces of fish. I can't do anything. That's this story, right? We have nothing to offer him and it can hold us back, but here's what to pay attention to. When the little boy had the lunch, it was just the small lunch. And even when Andrew kind of stole it from the boy <laughs> and offered it to Jesus, in Andrew's hands, it wasn't much. It was still just five barley loaves and a, and a couple of fish. But then there's something about when the master, the king of kings, Jesus, the son of God, something happens when he gets anything in his hands. When he takes those barley loaves, though they may be the poorest of breads in his hands, he multiplies them into something beautiful that provides for these 15,000 people. And the same with the fish and the same with your lives. I think of it this way. Just like Jesus took the loaves, he takes our lives into his hands and makes much out of little. That is great news. Because if you feel too weak, or if you feel too small, or if you feel like you have failed too much, or if you feel like you just have nothing to offer God, guess what? You just joined the club. We are all in that club. It's all about God making much out of little. We bring our little to him. He turns it into 
much. And I love how scripture is clear here that Jesus knew the entire time that this is how this story was gonna shake out. So he is the master chess player, this God that we serve. This whole thing happened, I mean, think about the setup here, and God's doing multiple things in everyone's lives at one time. But just think about the perspective of Philip, the one who is directly being tested, this disciple of Jesus. God is using this need that 15,000 people have that have a million stories and backgrounds and motivations and reasons for being there. And Jesus is setting Philip up for this moment of being tested so that he can gradually pull Philip out of this mindset of the old way and into the mindset of the new way and transform his thinking as a follower of Jesus. And he's using this problem to do that. And it just helps us approach life a lot differently because it changes at least a little bit the questions of, why would you do this, God? Why would you put me in this situation? Why, I thought I was following you. I, I, thanks for testing me. I just failed another one. And by the way, I love the fact that by all accounts, I mean, Philip and Andrew essentially failed this test, but Jesus did the miracle anyway. So it's not about like passing tests so you're now approved by God and he'll do the miracle. It's just about you growing in grace. Isn't that amazing? So here's the encouragement. Rather than focusing on what you don't have, give thanks for what you do have and allow God to bless it. And parenthetically, multiply it. There's something about our focus. And this is why gratitude is so powerful. When you choose to think through the lens of gratitude, you are focusing on what is in your hand. You're focusing on what you do have. And you're finally for once taking your eyes off what you think you don't have or what you think you need. And that alone can reorient and re can rewire your brain and reorient your entire life. Reading on in verse 12. When they had all had enough to eat, again, it's like there's this abundance. He said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled the 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. I always thought it was interesting. There's 12 basketfuls left over and there's 12 disciples. And any concern they might have had about their, their personal sense of being taken care of, it's a beautiful message to that. Because it's kind of like, hey, Philip, you could have chose to just have a few crumbs off that one of those five pieces of bread, or you could release this into the hands of God, see miracles, see wondrous things that you never thought were even possible, and then have an entire barrel full left over. You choose which way you want to live. Verse 14, after the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they had intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. So interesting ending to this story you have to understand the context. The people were thinking this is the soon coming Messiah that we have been waiting for. This is the promised one. We're gonna make him king. He's gonna overthrow Rome. He's gonna be our new political and spiritual leader. Jesus knew that wasn't the plan. Jesus knew he was gonna be the sacrificial suffering servant. And that's how he was gonna overcome sin, hell, and the grave. But the people didn't know that. So he didn't want them to force him like up on a throne so he slipped away and hid. And I think there's an, two interesting lessons for us there that are a little bit of a side note just as we study this text. One, let's not presume upon the Lord how he is supposed to show up in our life. 
A lot of times, human nature, our assumptions are just whacked out, right? We think God's supposed to do this, but he's showing up in our life in this entirely different way. That's a good way to live. Secondly, about the call of God on your life, there will be people that will have expectations on you and your life that if you let them, will run your life for you and the call of God on your life for you. And it's important to understand who you are and who you are before the Lord and stay true to what he has called you to do. I think about that as a pastor because people have lots of expectations for pastor, for, for pastors and I don't, my job description is not like meet the expectations of people. It's serve the Lord and respond to him and sometimes throw expectations off that aren't supposed to be on me. You guys tracking with me? And that's what Jesus was doing here. And you guys might have to do that too about your own lives. It's not just for pastors. Like parents can, can kind of set themselves up to be almost like idols in their kids' lives. If they're like, I don't know, overly trying to make every decision for their life, for their child. Like I, parents definitely do this with like young adult kids. I don't wanna get preachy here because I've never raised a young adult yet. I, I'm sure it's gonna be harder when I actually get there. So I'm like kind of like judging something I haven't done yet. But from, the, from a kid's perspective and a pastoral perspective, lots of parents that have adult children are still trying to run their kids' lives and are miserable for it, right? And, and you might need to like cast that expectation off. That's not what God has. It's not the way that God has for you to live. That's a side note. As the team comes, I want to ask you these closing questions as we just make an altar at our seats. Do you trust that Jesus has taken your life like the bread into his hands and made much out of little. And you might just need to start there. That's just being a follower of Jesus. That's saying yes to his call on your life. You might feel small and insignificant. You might feel like your life is wasting away. And if you could, just bow your heads with me. You may have all kinds of these lies in your mind about insignificance or smallness or weakness or missing your chance or all these things. And I just wanna invite you uh, to either for the first time or once again, Put your faith in Jesus, the living God, and understand that he's here and he takes our lives as they are, the poorest of breads, the smallest amount, and he transforms it into a miracle that serves and blesses others. And I wanna ask you this, are you focusing on what you don't have or are you giving thanks for what you do have and allowing God to bless it and multiply it? Lord, we bring our lives before you and we thank you for your word to us. And we just want to be a little more aware that you're testing us because you love us. You're our teacher and you're shaping us. So help us see the situations in our life through a new lens right now. Whatever challenge is bubbling up to the surface in our hearts, God, give us a new frame for that. You may have been asking us about this situation for years and we just keep circling back to it. We wanna approach it differently. We wanna understand. Like Philip, we're we're approaching this with the son of God. We're approaching this with the one who overcame death and the grave and is walking in resurrection power. We are not approaching this with some scarcity in our minds and fear and terror. No, we're approaching this from the position of being children of the king, children of the promise. Transform how we approach these challenges, I pray, Lord. Remind us of the times you've been faithful before so that we can trust you now. Real quick, church, I remember pastoring 
the last church that I pastored a number of years ago, sitting with one of our board members. And this guy had been with us since we planted the church. And uh, we had planted a number of churches. So he had seen lots of provision miracles that we had gotten to live together. And I was in a moment as a pastor where I was terrified internally about our financial situation as a church. I kept it cool on the outside. That's the job. But I was terrified. I, I, I mean, falling apart internally. What am I doing wrong? We are running out of money. I have no idea what to do. There are people that are relying on this for their pay. I was just a mess. And I was sitting with this guy over coffee. And he could see it all over me because he's a good friend. And eventually he just kind of lovingly, as a friend can do, rebuked me. And he said, Nathan, don't you remember what God did last year? And he pointed out a story. And he said, Nathan, don't you remember what God did two years ago? And he told me another story. Nathan, don't you remember what God did three years ago? And he told me another story. And you may just need to hear that today. Don't forget how faithful your God has been in your life. You can trust him right now. He is God. He makes much out of nothing. He makes beauty out of the mess. We sang it earlier in the song. He makes gardens out of graves, right? This is the God you serve. So remember and be filled with faith as we sing this song. Let's just make room for him. God, we trust you to do whatever you want to do in these situations. We surrender it to you. Lord, this is our prayer with our lives. And I pray that even more than just singing it in this moment, we wanna live this song out for the rest of the day. And as we go into our week, tomorrow, Tuesday, Wednesday, as we continue to fly through this year and into this decade, Lord, we wanna make room for you to do whatever you want to do, God. Your plan, your will, your way, your timing, God. We surrender, Lord. Show up miraculously with provision in people's lives, I pray. And not just for them, but for the people around them, God. We thank you for your goodness and faithfulness to us, Lord. I'm gonna pray this benediction over us, church, and we'll be dismissed. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you always. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys very much.